You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I often think of my life as like I'm a curator of great moments. That's the way I sometimes try to think of it. Because, uh, you know, 90% of moments are going to be boring. But if you can find those few moments and just collect them like a curator and keep them in your mental museum, that's a lovely way to live. Yeah. So, and did you learn this idea of being a curator of moments by doing this research on gratitude? I am going to say yes, if it sells more books, but, <laughs> but I actually had thought of it earlier. And does gratitude really work? Does it really make you feel better? Like scientists say it reduces anxiety, it makes you feel content and have more well-being. I am just one data point, but for me, it is huge because my default mode is to be annoyed at the world. I've never seen you cranky or annoyed. Well, that's because I'm so good at faking gratitude until I actually feel it. You know, this whole idea of fake it till you feel it. I've got AJ Jacobs, 
once again on the podcast. AJ, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I love being here. You are a hero and I am very grateful, which I suppose we'll be talking about. We're gonna talk a lot about gratitude because that's the topic of your next book. Every one of your books is always, here's what they always are. They're always high concept, very broad umbrella concept, which you could divide into a million different pieces with so many right. different stories. And then you, and then your technique number two is you immerse yourself in the topic. You just don't, you don't just quote scientific studies or interviews. You actually become the main character of your topic. And then you just look at it from, so, and this is the related to the umbrella part. You look at it from so many angles. It's angles I've never thought of. Like when you did It's All Relative, your most recent book, you not only talk about how the whole world's related, blah, 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 which is kind of not a new concept, but you throw the world's largest family reunion. I mean, how many how many relatives have you now found for yourself through your own exper experiments in genealogy? Well, that, that reunion featured 10,000 of my cousins, including... James Altucher, who gave I, a wonderful I spoke. speech. I know. Right after I Dr. Oz, who's also been on this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, about 10,000. I mean, but of course I've been able to figure out how I'm related to about 7 billion people because we're all related. And, uh, and how many do you, have you actually figured out the tree between? About 10,000. About 10,000. Because 10, I remember at first we knew we were third cousins because 23andMe told right. us we were. Exactly. But I think now... Um, we have the actual branches on Ancestry.com yeah. that at least show us related in some way or other. I know. It's, I think we've got great-great-great-grandpa Elysier or, or something. So, so, uh, someone thank you somewhere for back in some poor, forgotten serfdom. Oh, they had such terrible lives. That's another thing I learned from my new book and from my old book. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast. This The good old days were... Terrible. They just sucked. Yeah. And thank God. I mean, with all our problems now, that's what I try to keep in mind when I read the newspaper and how, like, all the annoying news. Like, at least we didn't live in 1800 when, like, this stuff, much worse was happening then. It was just the worst. Like, what? Well, like, Stephen let's, say, Pinker, let's say a typical family in, in 1820 in, in the United States of America. Well, like, you know, half of my kids would be dead for for starters uh and uh, you know you had Steven Pinker has a great book on this called Enlightenment Now have you read that I I have and there but there's a lot of uh pros and cons to his book some people like it some people don't it's very controversial It's true I have some issues with it but the overall thesis that life sucked I think is all too true I mean you just look at medicine like 50 years about 60 years ago if you went to the doctor you were probably doing more harm to yourself than good. And when I read the encyclopedia for one of my books, I remember reading about the tobacco enema, which was a popular uh, cure for whatever ailed you. You had a little stomach ache. They would actually take a hose, stick it up your butt, and then blow smoke. You know the phrase, blow smoke up your ass? That's where it started. You, they would blow smoke up your butt and it was supposed to cure you. Wait, it, it, it doesn't? Because that's, <laughs> that's what you that's, do every night. That's why I don't go to a doctor. I right? <laughs> just take tobacco enemas every day. Oh, well, that's, but by the way, that's, that, that, um, the, that book was called The Know-It-All. Right. And you read the encyclopedia from A to Z. And again, 
brilliant, high level, broad concept, but it gives you fuel for so many stories. You could you could tell the stories of your life, like what what's it like, you know, reading this gigantic set of 26 books. And you can tell stories about every little thing in the encyclopedia that you didn't know about and how it relates to your current life. Like it's like it's a brilliant idea for a book and you wonder why did anyone think about it? And you, you your creative process, I always just find fascinating how you come up with these high concepts, immerse yourself in it, and then you have so much material for a book by breaking it down well, into sub stories. Yeah. I mean I try to take something and just push it to the ridiculous extreme. And that is and, and literally. You and, do, you, you get very literal. I literally. do like to get literal. Your your humor is very literal. Like uh, when Ann Coulter uh, said on TV, um, just how many fucking Jews are there? You, I remember you wrote a post that got like 20,000 shares on Facebook where you mathematically figured out how many Jews were having, having sex at that moment. Having sexual intercourse, yeah, I was interested. How many fucking Jews are there? And it depends how you define fucking Jews. Like, are they fucking at the time? Or are they like at the moment? Or are they just sexually active in general? So yes, I think uh, taking things literally, I do love that. And it's interesting, you brought up why had no one thought of that before. I do think I have met a guy who said, and he's a writer, he said he had written the proposal for a book about reading the encyclopedia and he was about to send it when he read in some book publishing magazine that I had sold this book. So a lot of it is luck. And that that was actually in the encyclopedia. You know, Elisha Gray, have you ever heard of Elisha Gray? No, no that's because he filed the patent for the telephone uh, about four hours after Alexander Graham Bell. Ah, uh, so that other we we we'd be we would be talking. he would be like a trillionaire now, yeah. and instead Alexander Graham Bell. Right. Actually, how much money did Alexander Graham Bell make from the telephone? Oh no, he made a buttload. He did fine. Like, because there were all these lawsuits. Because Gray was like, I had the idea too, but like that's a lesson. Just don't like if you're gonna do your errands, do them after you file the pat patent. <laughs> Like he probably went to the grocery store. Is like, oh, I'll do this, and then I'll file a patent. No, you gotta. Sometimes you just really gotta do it. So um, anyway, I do think luck plays a huge part in life. But but I think your process of creativity supersedes luck because let's say the other guy did the book, the know it all. Okay, no problem. You would just come up with another high concept thing and. Do it. Well, it's true. I mean, that's where one of my great inspirations is James Altucher, who talks about- Who's he? <laughs> he's this weird looking dude who uh, has odd ideas. And one of them is just the idea of brainstorming multiple ideas because 98% of them are going to be crap. And that's what I find. It's a numbers game. You know, I have people say, how do you come up with your ideas? I'm like, well- most of my ideas suck. You just don't see them because they I don't pursue them or they don't get accepted. But if you come up with enough ideas, some of them are going to be gems. And you know, and you know, a couple of things there. One is I remember back in 2013, uh, we got together for lunch, and you were telling me uh, this was like the summer of 2013. You were telling me about another idea you're working on, which is to be a venture capitalist for a year. And instead you did, it's all relative. Right. Uh, which came, what, did it's all relative came out about a year ago or? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so from 2013 to 2017, you ended up working on it's all relative. Do you ever feel pressure to uh, uh, come up with books faster or else people are gonna 
Do you ever do you ever feel irrelevant if you're not producing every day or every month or every well, week? Well, I do get it's interesting because yeah, I think my publisher would like me to produce one one a year. I am luckily. I um I look like I'm prolific because I had a book come out last year and I'm having one come out in November. So, but the secret Which is we're going to talk about in a second. Right. The secret is I had been working on that one for four years, so uh, it was like three years overdue. So even though I look prolific, I am actually way behind. But you but, but you ever get anxious like if you don't? Oh, I totally Because I, I get anxious if I don't produce podcasts, articles, books all the time, basically. Well, you are like, yeah, I should study you more for your productivity and, and genius. No, because- but I, maybe my stuff is not as high quality as your, what is it, six New York Times bestsellers now? I Well, but I would say, uh, first of all, it is. And secondly, I mean, maybe quantity over quality, maybe there's something to that. Maybe I should just start vomiting out more stuff and try, instead of trying to sweat it. I actually, I once did an article on how to do everything faster. And one of the people I interviewed was this uh, thriller writer, whose name I totally forget now, but who had come out with like 200 books. And he was, yeah, he, you've probably heard this, perfection is the enemy of uh, productivity. Like he was just like, I, just, I don't care. I just like vomit it out. And if it's uh, if it's great, then that's fine. But if it's just slightly above average, that's fine too. Does he make money from the thriller books? Oh yeah, no, he was like a multi-billionaire. He was, I forget because his name. Because if you have 200 books out there, even if they only sell like $500 worth a month on average each one, it's $100,000 a month. Right. There is definitely something to quantity over quality. So, so, so with someone like that, I, I don't know who you're talking about, but my guess is, uh, from people I know who write 10,000 words a day or for, for the few times that I've written over 10,000 words in a day, like finishing a book quickly, um, if you outline everything in detail first, then you could just, you know, it's almost like you could turn your brain off and just start writing. I am a huge outliner. Yeah, I really, t- I find that so much more productive. So I know exactly, I mean, there are some writers who are like, Oh, I'm channeling uh, my muse and I don't know where this is going. Oh, I know exactly where it's going. I mean, I may take some detours along the way, but I think for efficiency, outlining is a beautiful thing. That said, I once interviewed a Daily Show writer who said Which something. Which uh, Kevin, oh man, That's great guy. I don't know. All right. <laughs> I know uh, some Daily Show writers. I don't know others. All right. Well, this guy, Kevin, whose name last name, I forget. I'm sorry. But he said, I said, what is your secret to comedy? And he said his secret was to surprise himself while writing. And I was like, that is so interesting. It makes no sense because how can you surprise yourself? Like you, but, but it also, I understood it because I have been writing sometimes when I'm like, out of nowhere, I just write some weird end to a sentence and it makes me laugh. Well, well, I think, and we had this um, discussion with Tom Papa, who's a, a well-known stand-up comedian, and his basic approach to coming over the punchline is to 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 punchline's funnier if it's completely unexpected. So if he that goes along with if he could surprise himself, he's probably going to surprise everyone. Mm, right. And I think that's true for. I mean, you're a humorist. You're you're not necessarily a stand-up I try, comic. But I try. Your 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 writing is always funny, even though there's a lot of like value and and information and so on in there. I think you have a humorous way of presenting things. But I think 
the literal literal way of looking at things is often unexpected because people don't normally look at things so literally or or switch kind of the grammatical meaning of a sentence to be to be funnier. Um, and it's all relative. Uh, your last book, what I mean, I would say you came up with things that were unexpected, like uh, just dis- just discussing your adventures of trying to see, you know, George H. W. Bush is unexpected. That you would be a related to him and b he would agree to see you because you were you said you were cousins with him. And so that got you through the door. Right. Well, I think what you said, I like to take on huge topics because then you can go in all different directions. Uh, I mean, this the, the family book had one on polyamory, which is fascinating. I love polyamory. I could never do it because uh, it's too stressful, like the scheduling. These people, you should see their Google calendars. It's like a mosaic because they've got to like figure out all these different boyfriends and girlfriends. So anyway, I love being able to go down these alleys. Yeah, it's it's funny. I one time I was visiting a, visiting with a friend of mine who's um, polyamorous, and his main girlfriend was out of town, and he says he's exhausted <laughs> because like all day long he has to go around the city <laughs> visiting his other girlfriend. It is, and I can't imagine. And the one thing I could not wrap my mind around is, and I think it's a good goal to have, but. It's the opposite of jealousy. It's it's an emotion called compersion that they talk about, where you are happy when your partner, your sexual partner is happy. So you are happy when they are having sex with someone else that they like. And I like try to imagine if my wife was having sex with you, <laughs> I I think you're a terrific guy, but it would drive me nuts. Like I... Uh, I'm not evolved enough to experience conversion. Well, well, okay, so here's the question, and then we'll we will get to other topics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's the question: Is that um, is it you said evolved enough? Is it an evolutionary thing to be polyamorous, or is it an evolutionary thing to be monogamous? Because the polyamorous people will say, "Oh no, it's better to be polyamorous because then." No man knows if he's the father, so every man in the village will help take care right. of the kid. That is true. But, yeah. but the monogamous side says, no, it's good when the the man knows he's the father because he'll kill for that kid. Mm, right. And so I don't know. I don't, it feels to me that the natural thing is monogamy, just because, like you, I would get upset if I wasn't in. Right. If my relationship was not monogamous, I think it, I I wouldn't be able to handle well, it. Well, my totally unscientific take is that actually, like polygamy seems natural. Like when you have a chimp, you have the alpha chimp, and he's having sex with eight women, women, <laughs> women, <laughs> <chimps>. female chimps. <laughs> I like that I've been trained so much to to be like in this post Me Too era that I call female chimps women, but. <laughs> That, uh, Female giraffes, women. Right, women. Uh, but anyway, I uh, I think that might be natural, but I think it's also a bad bad for society. Like I would not want to live in a society where it, you know um, uh, Bill Gates gets you know a hundred women and uh, losers like me get none. Like I think that would be an unhappy society. So I think that monogamy it's not necessarily natural, but it's actually a good solution for society where well, it's like more equal. I do think we do live in the society where a quote unquote Bill Gates gets a hundred women and- He's not a great example. I was trying well, to like, think of like Elon we, Musk. He's a little more- or, uh, or Will Chamberlain has had 
claims to have had sex with 20,000 women. Right. So, which uh, again, the and, logistics on that are astounding. But, but, but Will Chamberlain's clearly like a super alpha, you know, human being. Right. And, you know, simple beta males like us are just please, just will, will there be one woman out there who will grace us with their presence for the rest of our lives? Like, we're, we're grateful for monogamy. It's true. And some people do get none. Right. So, no, that is, I agree. That, I, I mean, I almost think it's like socialism. It's like, it's slightly. We're talking about this from the man's point of view, too. I mean, women also have the same issues. Right. Yeah. Even if it were Melinda Gates had, uh, you know, access to 100 men, that might not be good for other women. So, yeah, I agree. So, I want to hit two major topics. One is your, I guess this was your first book, The Year of Living Biblically, which I still think is probably the book you're most well known for. Right. This is where you spent a year of your life living according to the exact literal tenets of the Bible. And you grew up on the cover as you with a beard and a staff and in a robe. And you have all sorts of stories about how you stoned an adulterer in, in Central Park. And it was, it was, it was super funny. And uh, you know, it kind of propelled your 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 writing career because uh, it was such a massive bestseller. But more importantly, even it became a TV show. It did. And in our society, having a TV show is like that's like kind of almost like the reward for writing. I think that's how it's like considered. <laughs> and so, in your TV show, was not just a cable show. It was like a prime time broadcast it was on CBS what what day of the week was it on it was monday nights at 9:30 and actually they're still going to run the rest of the episodes five episodes in the summer but well, was, right so foreshadowing foreshadowing you got canceled after how many episodes eight episodes and i was overjoyed you were overjoyed canceled. that it was canceled yes cuz i thought i loved the people doing it but it was just the exact wrong message. It, it was, was not written like your book at all. No, it was. I mean, I blame CBS mostly uh, because they just took it and made it into like this bland tapioca crap. I mean, we knew we were in trouble when the the main character uh, in in my book, growing my beard was a big part of it because the Bible says you cannot shave the corners of your beard. So I didn't know where the corners were. So I just let the whole thing grow. And I look crazy. Like I look like Ted Kaczynski crazy. And, uh, and I scared people. And uh, it, within the first couple of weeks, CBS was like, let's not grow the beard. It might scare people off. It might scare off our nice Midwestern viewers. And I was like, oh, that's a sign. That's a sign that this is going to be a piece of crap. <laughs> so Yeah, that. because if they're going to cut corners on that, literally. Literally, exactly. Uh, where, what else did you did they cut? Well, for one thing, the main character was no longer Jewish. He was... Yes, and they converted me. I'm like an Upper West Side Jew, and they made him a lapsed Catholic. So I got, I got my foreskin res- restored. And I love the guy who played me. He was on Mad Men. He, he played... Um, uh, Peggy's boyfriend on Mad Men. Oh yeah, you're right. I remember that now. Yeah, he yeah. was great. Uh, Jay Ferguson is his name. But uh, but yeah, they wouldn't let they. I I wanted in my book. I wanted to show that if you follow the Bible literally, you are crazy. So don't so don't follow. Don't say oh, Bible says 
homosexuality is a sin because the Bible also says to stone your kid if he's stubborn. You know, it also says to kill astrologers. You know, it says crazy, crazy stuff. So don't take the Bible literally. And instead, the TV show is sort of a commercial for mainstream religion like oh if you are uh if you follow the bible you'll be a better person and you know that you will treat your neighbors more kindly and so, bring so it was, them pies it was, was kind of like the exact opposite of seinfeld where the, the 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 main um guidance larry david and jerry seinfeld will give to all the writers was nobody can learn anything ever exactly. and in living biblically there would be a lesson learned. The main character would learn right. uh, by the end of each episode. Yeah, I remember Larry David said, no hugs, no learning. And I think that this show definitely had both hugs and H- learning. Hugs and learning. And, and also they were learning the things that I didn't approve of. Like, you know, I wanted, I wanted it to be much, much weirder than it was. It like, was what, like what would, like, didn't, first off, first off, what's the process? So, so, Somebody came to you after Living Biblically came out and said, hey, can we buy the option rights to your book? Yeah, it had been optioned about six or seven times. Different companies? By different companies, and it was going to be a movie. At one point, Marlon Wayans was attached to play me, which was an interesting choice. Uh, And another time, they were going to do a reality show. Um, That's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Well, here, can I give you like a, a... 45 second story that I think encapsulates show business. So when the reality show production company came to me, they were like, oh, we want to show, it's going to be very subtle. We'll show the good of religion and the bad of religion. Uh, It'll be very intellectual. And cut to a year later, we're in the offices of Spike TV, like the men's channel. And then they're going, they're pitching... um, the Bible Olympics. So it'd be like 12 hunky guys uh, running down a mountain carrying tablets. Like who can... <laughs> like which that's what hunk, it evolved into? Moses. Yeah, that's what it had evolved into. And, and, the, and Bible the thing is, Olympics. it evolved so slowly into that that you're actually in the room trying to pitch this. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, this is a... Wait a second. Uh, yeah, it's like the classic frog in the boiling water. You don't even notice it's happening until you're like, Holy crap, this is terrible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then it, it got optioned by Johnny. But, but, but every time it got optioned, you got paid, right? I did. I did. So, uh, so what was like the average payment or one of the payments for to option a, a best selling book like that? Well, in the beginning, it got lower and lower every time. So it was 50000 the first time, which I was happy with, of course. Uh, and then by the end, it was like 2000 And I was just doing, I was like, no, there's no way this is going to make it onto television. I just thought it was a fun lark that because uh, Johnny Galecki from Big Bang uh, had optioned it. And I was like, oh, I'll go out to dinner with Johnny Galecki. I'll take a selfie and it'll be funny and it'll be over. And then it just kept going and going. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? So, so, the, so then once... Once he options it, what does he do? He finds a, a production company to make it, and he then they had produce. his own production company. They found a writer um, who was actually brilliant. This is what's so crazy, I think, about television. I listened to him on a couple of podcasts. This writer, and I was like rolling on the floor. I was like, "This guy is so smart and so weird and funny." And then CBS just steamrolled all of the uh, brilliance out of him. Like how how did they do that? Oh, okay, well, so well, just in terms of process, so they find a writer. Do they find actors yet? The production uh, company. 
first they write a script, then if that's approved by CBS, then they oh, so they had when do they pitch it to CBS? Well, they pitch it very early on before they've even written a script to all of the networks, and actually all of them wanted it, but they went with CBS. Then they write a script. If the script is approved, then they get money to cast and make a pilot, which is crazy expensive, like a million and a half sometimes, like three million. I don't and know. Do you how get much. as a you? You must be a producer at this point. Do you get like a little piece I of don't, that? No, because I'm a terrible businessman. So I was not a producer. Um, Didn't you have an agent negotiate your rights yeah, contract? I love, I, but I actually am very. I I don't really want to be a producer because I don't have control. Like. I think what you do is ingenious because you know you've got your blog, you've got your podcast, you have no one controlling you and editing you, which is beautiful in the way of the future. And like this idea of a hundred people, you know, too many cooks just make a really crappy right, right. stew. Because in between you and the book, which you wrote and created a hundred percent of. In between you and the final product of a TV show was the the guy who actually bought the option, then the production company, then uh, uh, probably three or four levels of studio executives. Like he probably, oh no, probably an agent first. He probably the the production company probably has an agent who actually is the one who pitches it to the studios. Then the various hierarchy within the studios, all the way up to the CEO of CBS, probably right. is involved. Sure, and then there's to actually get an episode made. There's writers, assistant writers, you know, other people involved in production, studio executives involved in production. So there's like probably twenty or thirty people in between you and the final product. Yeah, and it just uh, it just diluted it and diluted it until it was just this watery gruel. <laughs> I will add, you know, we've had one of the actors from Living Biblically on the podcast, Tony Rock, excellent guy, love him, just love that guy. Uh, such a funny person and a great. He was great on the show, actually. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was very good, and and I think if the writer had been allowed to do what he wanted, I, I think it would have been really interesting. But. So what happens? He pr- pr- writes an episode, and then CBS just has like fifty notes. Or- yeah, exactly. And I wasn't privy to all of that, so I'm slightly speculating, but. It does seem that way. Like there's producers notes, then there's executive notes, there's censors notes, and you can't, you know, it just gets. G- given that it's such a cliche that their notes are bad, why do they give notes at all? <laughs> it's a great question. Well, when you get to a certain level, you can just say screw off. Like you know, I think that's what Modern Family does, which I think is it makes yeah, it or, better. Yeah, or or Louis C.K. did it with Louis. Oh right! He, yeah. he didn't allow Fox to see it until the day before it aired, <laughs> and then and then they said no, we can't do that, and he would just walk away. And then they keep coming back. No, 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 it's okay. I like that. Although he he had his own problems. He has his own problems, but he that's how he did get right. his his show on the air. Um. So so the the day did you have a sense? Look, it's still CBS primetime. It was still showing what what was the audience every week? About five million. Five million. I now know. and again. We were just talking before the podcast how shows in the '70s and '80s, when there was only three broadcast channels and no cable, really, a t- the typical average medium show would get over 20 million viewers. Amazing. Now zero shows, zero in all of broadcast TV get get. I think only one gets over 10 million per week, which is like CSI, um, and then everything else gets below 10 million. So nothing gets 20 million anymore. Right. So so five million. 
which which in the 70s and 80s would have been an instant failure, 5 million was good. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's uh I mean, it was decent. For CBS it wasn't big enough. They needed a breakout show. Did you ever win a- the week, meaning you had the best oh, no. of CBS, ABC, NBC? Nope, no, nope, no. What were you up against? Uh Oh, I can't remember, but whatever it was, they they crushed us. And then and then, what was the percentage? Oh, it was a lot of the reality shows, like the American Idol and all that stuff. What what, what was the percentage that was um, uh, uh, iTunes of your shows? I can't remember. I got to look at Amazon or or something else. Can I just tell you my favorite readings fact ever that I think says a lot about our society? The moon landing got a ninety three share. That means 7% of Americans were like, eh, I'd rather watch The Three Stooges. I mean, yeah, here's, I get, it's black and white. I can't see what's going on. I'm not interested in the moon, men on the moon. That, that's funny. And, uh, and I think that's like, you know, when I think about Trump got 19% of all Americans' votes. Like all, if you take all 300 million plus, he got 19%. And I'm like, of course he did. You've got seven percent of people who wouldn't watch the fucking moon landing because they wanted to watch Three Stooges. So it's very hard to, to get like a, you know a completely rational society. It's, it's very hard to get a hundred percent of people to agree to something, even exactly. if it's the most obvious thing in the world, like right. the, like watching the moon, the landing, moon landing versus a, versus the Three Stooges. That right. would seem like an obvious decision. Like the greatest historical advance in human history. Versus three guys like poking each other in the face, which I honestly I remember researching this. I think it was the uh, the Three Stooges. I don't think I'm making that up. Someone should look into that. But I think that was what it was up against. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So bring this to your show. Five million people seems like a lot of people to have seen you know, something that you were initially involved in creating, but it's still only, you know, a little over 1%. It's less than 2% of the country right. watched your show each week. And that is nothing. On, on a major broadcast channel, which used to be the dominating way we would get all entertainment. It's now just a tiny fraction of how we get entertainment. Right. And listen, 5 million is a huge amount. If that 
if they can monetize that properly, then uh, it would be great because I always think, uh, I think back to, you know, Tim Ferriss, our mutual friend who gets a lot of crap, but he is, he always told me like, um, you know, if you have 90% of people hate you, but like 10% really love you, that's 30 million people in America. That is a huge amount. So you don't have to appeal to everyone. And mm. I don't think you should even try. Uh, so they, yeah, that was a lesson. And I think that was part of the problem. They tried to appeal to everyone and they turned off most and, people. And also, you know, you look at why, why are things canceled so fast? Because you look at like Seinfeld. Seinfeld had mediocre ratings, I think until about season three. And finally it became a hit. Right. It wasn't a hit. Nobody knew about it. Like it was called the Seinfeld Chronicles season one. Like nobody really knew about it in the first couple of seasons. And then suddenly it became a hit because they get, let it run. Now, you know, you just only had eight episodes there and they canceled it. Right. You know, and, and five million a, a week wasn't enough. And I don't know, things, it seems like there's a, a, a tighter turnaround now on any kind of, like the, the lifespan of a creative work is gotten shorter and shorter. Oh, yeah. And I think that's in everything, like in uh, in books now. Like you got to open big, or else you know. Yeah, by the third week, your book's dead. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, crazy. if you don't make the bestseller list in the first week, it's probably not never going to make the bestseller list. And uh, even YouTube videos, like something might get like a billion views. Like we were talking about Gangnam Style, you know, size PSY's uh, video got it was the first to get to a billion views, and then it just kind of like disappeared. Like nobody would even think of watching it now. Right. It's funny. And, and that's it, a billion views. That is amazing. But and, it also shows that YouTube, where people have the choice, more choice of what they can watch and there's so much more content, that really is where the eyeballs are so going. So are you doing anything with YouTube? We are probably going to try to make this podcast on YouTube. Oh, and we do we lovely. do the post-game analysis we're about to launch on, on YouTube. Okay, good. So, yeah, I want to analyze all the things I did wrong because I have a lot of criticisms already of my performance. I, 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 on your performance on this podcast? Yeah. All right, that'll be on the post-game analysis. Right, yeah. I um, would, uh, yeah. I so would. were you disappointed at all when it got canceled? Because I'm sure, were you making money per episode at this point? Yeah, but not even that much because as I say, I'm a terrible businessman. But uh, I was uh, I was only disappointed because my kids loved going to the set, which was a blast. And, and, and no matter what you say, like that is a crazy experience to have this, you know, 200 people working on something that, was in somewhat inspired by you and the fact that they you know you can compare like oh he's got um, a goodfellas poster in his apartment i have a, i love the goodfellas too and isn't that funny so yeah that is the only sad part but overall i'm fine i'm actually mostly quite happy well you know it goes along with the fact though that like you're very much a self-starter. You've created your career in part by launching your career with this book. I mean, you launched it before by being, you know, writing for Esquire and, and getting a lot of experience writing, but the year of living biblically, it's, it still shows that books are events. And although I remember some of your articles that you've written over the years, the books are the ones that stand out. It's still important to have a book around. I do feel, yeah, even at because Even though books are read actually less than articles. Right. But the fact that you can have a book and have like 100 articles written about that book, that is the multiplier effect. That's the way I think of it. Yeah, like even though, like take that Ann Coulter Facebook post that we talked about earlier, even though that was shared 10,000 times and probably read hundreds and hundreds of thousands or even millions of times, 
probably your book, The Year of Living Biblically, or any of your books are probably read less than that post. It's still you're known from totally, yeah. Year of Living There's Biblically. There's still some legacy, something about a physical object that people like. Can I totally contradict myself on something? Yes, you, because you have my permission. We have talked about how important it is, like the singular authorial vision, and that's why I liked working in books as opposed to in my new book, I totally argue against that. So I'm a total uh, hypocrite. And uh, because in the new book, well, yeah, should I just say yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah, so tell, tell us what the new book's about. All right, the new book is called Thanks a Thousand. And what I do is I go around the world thanking a thousand people who helped make my cup of coffee. So it could be any, it was the farmers. I went to Columbia, South America, but also the truck drivers, the people, the truck drivers couldn't do their job without the road. So I had to thank the people who paved the road. I had to thank the people who like made the asphalt for the pavement. And it's like, you know, I would just call people up. I would say, I know this sounds weird, um, but I want to thank you for making the pesticide that's in the warehouse where my coffee is stored so that my coffee doesn't have bugs in it. So, so I just want to examine the creative process that came up with this, this one idea. So A, you could have just written an article, right? And, you know, hey, gratitude is important, but don't forget that there are a lot of things that lead to you know, any one thing that you enjoy in life. And for instance, with coffee, here's a list of 30 people you could think of that were involved in creating your single cup of coffee. It, it, to some extent, that reminds me of the book, I Pencil, which talks like- Which you sent me, which I loved. It was a great, it was, it was like oh, I, my I book. I forgot I sent it to you. Yeah, you sent it to me and I was like, hey, this is exactly like my book, but without the gratitude part and with pencils instead it, of coffee. But but you, you decided, okay, that was your first kind of, a big concept umbrella thing, which is that like everybody says, oh, you should think of three things you're grateful for, you know, at the end of the day, and that will make your life better. So instead of taking the, the you took this kind of cliche self help advice and expanded it to look at the many, many layers right. that are underneath that initial gratitude. So that's that kind of the high concept. Yeah, push it as far as you can. That's but, the way. And I will tell you, I thank my son for helping me come up with it because. You know, I had read all of the studies about gratitude and it makes you less depressed, it makes you sleep better, like, you know, tons of science behind it. Uh, and so I started to, this was a couple of years ago, I would say a prayer of Thanksgiving before my meal. But I'm an atheist, so a prayer was kind of weird. So I wouldn't thank God. So I would say, you know, I'd like to thank the farmer who grew these tomatoes and the trucker who drove the tomatoes to the store and the cashier who rang the tomatoes up. And my son was like, you know, dad, those people aren't here. They can't hear you. Like, if you really care, you would go out and thank them in person. And I was like, that is an interesting idea. Yeah, because now your son gave you a way to picture how you can immerse yourself exactly. in the high concept story. Right. And not only that, you've also given yourself an opportunity to tell a thousand stories and then pick the best ones to make a book. So like exactly. you're going to thank all these people and some of them because you're actually traveling to like South America and then you're traveling to the where you're calling the pesta, you're going to have stories right. to tell. Yeah. They're like book ten, it's basically structured. I thank a thousand people, but I focus on the stories of 10 of them and the lessons I learned because you know, I did learn like like I loved the guy who actually chooses which coffee is at my coffee shop. A great guy named Ed Kaufman. And he- He's named Ed Kaufman. 
And, yeah, that's kind of that, funny for some that reason. Is, that is funny. You know what? I his think name that, chose his career. That's your next book. How exactly. many people where their names choose their careers? And you're like going to talk to everyone. Dentists all become dentists. Yeah. I had read a study about that. <laughs> so I don't know if that was uh, him, but he, he would like, he showed me how to, to taste coffee, which is like the most ridiculous wine sommelier you've ever seen. So first you have to sip it. You have to, I mean, slurp it because you want the, the coffee to go all over your mouth because you have taste buds in your cheeks and in the roof of your mouth, so you got to get them all. So it's a, a, like a comically loud slurp, which I won't do because it might sound gross on, on radio. But then he would go, his face would light up and he would be like, this coffee tastes like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sensing hints of, uh, of Honeycrisp apple and, uh, you know, and maple syrup. And I would take a taste and I'd be like, I'm sensing coffee. It tastes like coffee to me. Yeah, people, I, like, I cannot tell the difference between the coffee I get at the cart on the corner or Starbucks coffee or the Keurig cup coffee. Or right. I can't ever taste the difference between, and I take my coffee black, I can't, take the tif- I can't taste the difference between any coffee. Well, I am mostly that way, but because of Ed, I was inspired. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let the coffee sit on my tongue for five seconds. We're all busy, but five seconds I could spare. And just really focus on the, 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 the texture and the sweetness and acidity. And you do begin to taste the difference. And that, psychologists say, that's such a big part of gratitude. This idea of savoring, of taking a moment and holding on to it as long as you can. Uh, because otherwise, life just goes by in a blur. Like, how, how do you do that? Like, how, Let's say you're at a concert, that you, a music concert that you really wanted to go to. Um, how do you savor the moment? That I would say you you choose a moment. You choose a moment to really focus on. So whether it's like, you know, uh, I don't go to many concerts, but whatever. The guitarist, you know, his final flourish, and he, you know, just admire the way his arm moves, and just really go into detail on one moment. Because if you just treat all moments equally, then it's all a blur. So you pick a moment and you try to find as many details that are interesting as possible in that moment. Right. And then it gives you a way of savoring it for later. Yeah. I often think of my life as like I'm a curator of great moments. That's the way I sometimes try to think of it. Because, you know, they're going to be, 90% of moments are going to be boring. But if you can find those few moments and just collect them like a curator and keep them in your mental museum, that's a lovely way to live. Yeah. So, and did you learn this idea of being a curator of moments from, by doing this research on gratitude? I am going to say yes if it sells more books, but <laughs> <laughs> but I actually had thought of it earlier. But uh, but it reinforced. And, this and have you been doing it? Yeah, yeah. That's the way I try to live. Like I will. I often when I read a book or or I do a podcast or listen to a podcast, I will try to pick one moment because I know if I don't pick that one moment to remember then the whole thing will just go away. So I'm going to pick one moment from today, I don't know what it is yet, to really remember and be like, wasn't that funny or wasn't that terrible? So, so, so why'd you pick coffee for this book? Well, partly... I'll, I'll get to the stories, by the way, when you're, and no, the book's coming out in November, mm-hmm. you'll come back on in November and we'll talk about the actual stories Excellent, and, and, I got and gratitude of, and things like that. I but got, why'd you pick coffee? As well, opposed to your family or... Uh, I don't know anything else. What other things? Well, my did you kids think of? did want like they wanted me to do s'mores because they thought you know we'll get a lot of s'mores in the house. But coffee, it seemed first of all, I do love my cup of coffee. Second, you know, it employs like two hundred million people in the world. It's the most drunk beverage. 
I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure it's true. And uh, and the just the number of people who have to contribute to it is astounding. And everything is like that, but coffee especially because it's so global. You got the coffee beans. You got. Uh, I visited a steel plant where they make the steel for like the trucks that carry the coffee and the stop signs. You know, you don't think about who makes the stop signs. What other stuff did you consider besides coffee and, and, and s'mores? Coffee, s'mores. Well, I, you know, I was like a light bulb, a pair of socks. It ah. could be anything. It doesn't have to be food because uh, everything we do has thousands of people behind it. Oh, and let me get back to my hypocrisy because remember we were talking about the importance of a sole author. Well, one of the points in my book was that this idea of one person being responsible for a creative object is an illusion. Because for my book, for instance, it says on the cover, AJJ, thanks a thousand, AJ Jacobs. But really it should say, thanks a thousand by AJ Jacobs with my editor, the graphic designer, the researcher, the person who chose the fonts, the person who cut down the wood for the paper. You know, there are, my book would not exist without thousands of people. So this idea of one sole author is bad. And I think it's dangerous. It's a bad way to think about the world. So I, I think I've noticed with you through several books now, the process of you writing a book, it's not like you have all of the knowledge and wisdom in advance. You change, you yourself change as a result of writing the book. Like, so now do you look at everything and kind of think of all the different people who might be behind everything? Oh yeah, I mean, it is. And it definitely helps my life to think that way because it's like, you know. It also am, helps with problems. Like any problem can't be just your fault. That's true. That is true. Yeah, it is, a, <laughs> it is, a, it is freeing in that way that we are not alone. We are just, I, I have a chapter called Six Degrees of Gratitude and just this idea that everything depends on everything else. And even this was, it gets recursive because the people who are in the steel factory were like, well, we couldn't do our job unless we were hopped up on coffee. So thank coffee for helping us make the steel. Ah, that's funny. Yeah, it was nice. So, so I mean, we'll, talk, we'll definitely talk more about this. You're, you're, are you done with the book? And now you're waiting for November for it to come out? Yeah, I mean, the hard part was actually thanking a thousand people. So it, uh, I, I still have a couple- How long did of, it take? Well, every day I would wake up and I would just- visit people or call them or email them. And it was like, you know, some people were like, you know, I'd say, uh, they'd say like, what are you selling? Is this a pyramid scheme? What the hell is going on? Right, because people are suspicious of anyone who has, you know, just right. wants to just do something good for them, like thanking them exactly. with no ulterior motive. But some were very, most actually were very, um, very grateful and they would, it was like I would make an anti, it was like anti-crank phone calls. Like I would, in middle school, I would call my headmaster and like, you know, say dirty things. This time I was like, uh, they would be like, you just made my day. And, uh, you know, it's not me, it's just anyone could do it. But it's just this, and I, I was so, uh, for me, it was so um, beneficial. Like I wasn't just helping them. I was, because I am, I think I'm more Larry David than Tom Hanks. Like I am default mode cranky and annoyed at everything. So I've never seen you cranky or annoyed. Well, that's because I am so good at faking gratitude until I actually feel it. So this was one of the big lessons. I would spend two hours 
calling and thanking people. And by the end, it, it had worked its magic. You know, this whole idea of fake it till you feel it. Or um, and, and does and, gratitude really work? Does it really make you feel better? Like oh, scientists say, it reduces anxiety. It makes you feel content and have more well-being and I, happiness. Yeah, I am just one data point. But for me, it is huge because I am, as I say, yeah, my default mode is to be annoyed at the world. And it's that is not a good way to go through life. That's not a fun way to go through life. I mean, it's good in some senses for material because you do need a little annoyance at the way the world is. But, um, but yeah, this has made me a much happier person. So I always think about like all the high concept things you've done. So now it's gratitude, family, uh, Bible, uh, all of the world's knowledge, exercise, uh, you know, going through all your books. Uh, what's what's a what's a concept you've th- thought about tackling that you haven't yet, or that you're thinking about now? Well, I've got a lot of rejected ones because, as as we talked about, ninety percent of ideas suck. So uh, I had a lot of readers who had said, you know, you should become the greatest lover in the world and <laughs> do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And I actually brought it up with my wife, and she's like, "No fucking way." That is like, and I have to Lit- agree. Literally, I gotta, no I gotta say, literally, way. There. that's exactly right. <laughs> I and I agree with her. I'm too old. Like, I don't have the flexibility in my back for that. And um, and I actually, I talk about this in my health book. I have pretty low testosterone, which I thank God for, because if I had more testosterone and a higher sex drive. What the hell would I do with it? Like, what's the outlet for that? Nothing. Like, I get, you know, I get a certain amount. Well, a lot of people, you know, get more testosterone. <laughs> they yeah. do like kind of testosterone replacement therapy. Yeah, no, no, that's what I've considered, and some people have recommended, and I'm like, no way, because you know, then my sex drive would go up, and there's just no outlet for that aside from, like, you know prostitutes or polyamory, which is not what I'm interested in. So uh, so I'm quite happy. I'm quite content. I'm very grateful for my low <laughs> testosterone. Who, what are the thousand people you would thank for that? Like your <laughs> my parents, parents, your dad? Exactly. Something yeah. probably in the water that made my, uh, yeah, that increased my estrogen. Who knows? But uh, yeah, thank God. So I, that's a rejected idea? That was a rejected idea. Um, another rejected idea was this was a while ago, so now it's almost uh, it's almost uh, part of life. But I wanted to do a project where I had no face-to-face communication. It was all electronic, so texting, IM, Skype, and uh, with my kids too. So I would like raise my kids by Skype, and uh, I thought that was interesting. But my wife again was like, no. Because you're not. So going. she's the first. She's the first editor. She is the first editor. Right. Exactly. Uh, so that was one. Um, yeah, there are a ton. I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, wait, I had a good one there for a second, but I forgot it. Uh, oh, well, this one I still think would be interesting, but I just ne- never got around to it. I would, you know, I think drones and robots would are, are changing our lives tremendously. So I would be interested in like. Having like my drone life or my robotic life, where everything is done by drone. So you know, I would instead of hanging with my kid, I would I would get a drone to like go into his bedroom, and I could read to him through the drone while still like relaxing in my bed. That's funny. Uh, so yeah, if anyone out there wants to try that, I feel like that's another one, like the communication one, where 
that'll go quickly out of date just because technology, like that probably will happen in like five years or 10 years or whatever. Oh yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I often, there, there are pros and cons to this technolo- technology revolution. But one is, you know, when my kids go off to, uh, you know, live in Kuala Lumpur or whatever, like it really won't matter in that in 10 years you'll have on your headset and you can have dinner with them. Like, like they're right yeah, there. Yeah, like what about what about living for a year entirely in a virtual reality? I thought of. I actually bought virtual reality for just that idea, and I've I haven't gotten around to it, but I want to because it's weird. Like you're in there for just like ten minutes, and you take off your little VR mask, and it's like like a jolt. You're like, what the hell? This this reality sucks. And you probably like, don't have to do a year. You could probably do a month, and that's yeah. interesting to write a book. Well, I think just a week. I mean, there are stories of people who get physically ill. Like if you're in it too long, you get physically ill. But I would love it. I think it would be really interesting. And, uh, and you could probably break a world record longest time in a virtual reality. I like it. So, Will you join me? Come in. All right. All right. If you do it, I'll, I'll be a participant. That would be good. Because there are all these games where you know you can... We can shoot at each other. Yeah, but we can like we can have die a podcast, over over again. a VR podcast. Yeah, yeah, we can do a podcast in the virtual reality. Mm-hmm. I right, was another idea. Mm, let's see what were some of the other. I'm just trying to well, think this of one, what to steal. This, yeah, this idea I actually liked, but I never got around to it. So you feel free to steal. Um, but it was basically like you know, spam taking every spam. So you know, actually going to. Nigeria and meeting the prince, you know, and trying to figure out how I can get my 14 million. I love this. That's a good idea. Um, and to trying all the penis enlargement devices. And uh, yeah, that I think it's a fun idea. It, it, it didn't seem like uh, that it would yield enough profound insights to change my life, which I like to do like something that is kind of. I don't of know, funny. but the, like the prince of Nigeria thing, like. Going to visit that person and seeing, you know, they're poor, living in a shack, or I don't right. know. I mean, they could be wealthy because of the spam working. True. But and maybe the ethical thing to do would be to give them money, just because they have so much less than we do. So, yeah, yeah it would be nice to know. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to do that. The spam, living my life, living spam. Well, AJ, I I want to say first, this is an advanced advertisement. For your book on gratitude, you'll come on again and we'll talk about the specific stories and Bless more you. things to be grateful available for. Available for free order on Amazon. Thanks. It's, it's available now. For, yeah. For free, oh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. I'm <laughs> I gonna can probably get it. you a free copy. And living biblically, I watched and uh, I feel bad it was canceled, but it was definitely not the same as your book. Well, thank you. And, and, and again, I love the actors and Tony yes. Rock was great and, and and the producers were lovely and wonderful. It just TV is a crazy sausage fact. Is that the right word? A TV, I don't know. It beats is there anything all you could humor. have done differently? Yeah, it beats all the humor out of uh, at least broadcast television. Like, could you have done? Could you have done it any other way? Could you have sold it to Netflix and been more creative? I think with it? Netflix, yeah, like HBO or Netflix would have been much better. Did HBO bid for it? No, they just took it to the networks. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting. But I don't know. The other thing I want to point out is I could definitely not have done better if I had written the scripts. They would have sucked so much more. So uh, I, I why I do you realize because you, you don't think you're a screenwriter? Yeah, I just don't like telling. I, I mean, I with with a few years of practice, I could probably do it. But it's just not the genre I'm used to. Have you ever thought about writing fiction? 
I have you? Yeah. Oh yeah, you have written fiction. I have written fiction, and I was gonna do a novel last year, but I switched my interest to mm. stand-up comedy in twenty seventeen. Which I love. I'm a big fan of your stand-up. Yeah. You have you have you have to come again at some point. I to, know. I've heard the act has changed. The act has changed considerably. It changes every few weeks. I love that. So, and now, now that I've been recently engaged, the focus is completely on that, at least for the next few weeks. Interesting. Okay, I need that. So, but AJ, thanks once again for exploring your creative process with us and teaching us about gratitude and TV and always so much more. Thank and, you, James. And thanks to your parents for having sex so that they produced you and your grandparents as well. For, for reluctantly, ha like for barely <laughs> tolerating each other enough to have me. For my grandparents, for, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to they yeah the same they thing. did it they did it too <laughs> they uh, all barely tolerated each other they had back then because everybody just married their neighbors right so, yeah it was not good so whoever moved made the decision to have them move next to each other <laughs> so. well I love it. I I love coming on so anytime you want me I'm here excellent well thanks again AJ and see you soon see you soon James. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.